Well, good morning. First off, I just want to say thank you to everybody who reached out to me and my family this past week and either sent us a text message, brought us a meal, or gave us a card. Uh, For those of you who have prayed for us, uh, we deeply, deeply appreciate it. Um, It's definitely one of those long journeys that we're just right in the middle of, but we appreciate the the love and the support from uh, the church. Uh, Some of you guys know my story, but actually in 2005, uh, my dad passed away on the very first day that I ever stepped foot into the church, and the people of the church showed up in a really powerful way for the passing of my dad, and you guys showed up in a powerful way for the passing of my mom. So um, I just love you guys, and I appreciate all of the love and support that you have shown uh, me and my family over these uh, past couple of weeks. So thank you guys for that. Um, Uh, This morning, I want to start with a fun game. I really enjoy games, especially games that get a chance for us to get to know each other a little bit better. So as you play this game this morning, make sure you look around and see the response from other people because you never know, you might make a connection with somebody here this morning. And the game that we're going to play today is called This or That. And it's very simple. All it requires you to do is either raise your hand or keep your hand down. So if you're one of those people that don't even like playing games, you're still going to participate even if you keep your hands down. All right? So you get suckered into it. It's very simple. I'm going to show you a couple images on the screen. If you would say, hey, I would choose this, then you raise your hand. If you're somebody who's like, no, actually, I would choose that, you just keep your hand down. Everybody got it? It's pretty simple. This, hand up, that, hand down. First one, starting off easy. Would you prefer this, a dog? That's me. Or that, a cat? It's about, uh, actually, there's more cat people than I thought. I'm, I'm going dog, but there's quite a few cat people. All right. What about this? Would you prefer to, and you can, if your hand is up, you can keep it up. If your hand's down, you can keep it down. But would you prefer this, working out or that, eating out? It's a pretty even split. All right. What about this one? Would you prefer this, an art museum, or that, a history museum? I'm going art. Man, this is like a pretty even split. Okay. A lot of, uh, a lot of uh, history people in here. What about this one? Would you, this is a hard Would you rather see the future, or would you change the past? I'm seeing the future. Because I'm going to get some lotto numbers and then, uh, <laughs> all right, a lot of people would actually change the past. Okay, and then last but not least, how many of you would pick this, peace or that, worry? Pretty sure everybody in the room's hand is up, because I don't know one person who's in their right mind who's like, yeah, give me more worry. I want to worry more. I've not met anybody in my life who said that. We all want peace. And you might be thinking like, Josh, it's kind of a ridiculous game. Why would you start like that? But the reality is this really is our life. Every single day we make this or that choices. And those choices are ultimately a reflection of who we are. And I don't know if you know this, but uh, in about five years, if you were to take today, January 21st, 2024, and add five years, within those five years, you will have made approximately 64 million decisions. Those are a lot of choices from what you're going to wear to what you're going to eat to who you're going to spend time with, what you're going to spend your money on, even down to what you think about. It's all choices, and those choices are a reflection ultimately of who we are. 
And so we're in this series called You in Five Years that's challenging us to look forward five years from now to who we are becoming and who we want to become. But before we fast forward, I want to actually rewind the clock about 2,000 years and look at arguably the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus himself. We refer to it as the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6 today, so if you're somebody who likes to get ahead, you can flip there. Matthew's in the back of the Bible. It's the very first book of the New Testament. Just put your finger there. We'll get there eventually. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6. But Jesus addresses this very topic of worry that we're going to be talking about today because worry really is a choice as we're going to discover. And the big idea for today that we're going to begin unfolding and unpacking is this, that when we prioritize the kingdom, peace will follow. Remember, every single person in this room said, yeah, I would choose peace over worry. And if we really want to be a people of peace, we're going to find in the scriptures today that what we need to do is prioritize the kingdom. And that word kingdom, it's not one that we use often. So what is the kingdom? What is the kingdom of God? It's simply the realm in which God is ruler, where he is king, where his will is done. So what this is saying is when we prioritize God's will, when we prioritize God's kingship, as we do that, peace will follow. That's the promise from scripture that we're going to be learning about here today. But before we jump into that text, what we need to do is talk about the difference between concern, worry, and anxiety. Because we live in a culture that likes to clump these terms together and we use them as synonyms, but really uh, they're not. There's some overlap for sure, but there's also some very important distinctions that we need to talk about. And so to do this, we really have to look at the Greek word that's used for worry in the New Testament. This word is used 22 times. It's miramineo. And it literally, the root word of this literally means to divide or to draw or to tear apart in different directions. But it can also mean to care for something. There's both positive and negative experiences to this term, depending on the context that it's used. So when you're reading through Scripture and you read through First and Second Corinthians, Paul uses this word to talk about his concern for the churches or his concern for people. And that's this rightly placed care for someone or something. Concern is good. When we care enough about something to change something or to do something, that's good, right? This is the student who uh, cares about their grade in school, and so they study for their test. It's the person who goes to the doctor's office, and the doctor says, hey, your cholesterol is a little bit high. Let's change some things in your diet. And they care enough about their health to say, yeah, I'm going to make those changes. They're not worried about it. They're not staying up at night thinking about it. They're not spiraling out of control. They just are like, hey, I, can, I'm, I care enough about this thing to do something about it. That's good. But problems start to arise when our minds become divided or torn in different directions. And it's no longer, hey, I care about this test. It's if I don't do good on this test, I'm not going to keep my 4.0. And then I'm not going to be able to get to, into Yale. And then I'm not going to become the attorney that I want to become. And then I'm not going to be able to make the money that I want to make. And then I'm going to be poor. And then I'm going to die. And it's just this like down roll, down, down, downward spiral. That, that's what worry is. That's where the problems start to arise. Arise, and then it can move from worry to anxiety. 
And so what I want to do is kind of talk the difference, talk about the difference between worry and anxiety. And here's, this is, this is generally speaking, this is 30,000 foot view. We can nuance each of these uh, way more than this, but this is just a general uh, overview of it. Worry is typically more specific. It's, again, it's, it's that test in school or it's that one doctor's appointment that you're worried about, whereas anxiety can be more general. Sometimes you can't really pinpoint what it is. Worry stems from realistic cares, where anxiety really stems from general unknowns and fears. They could be some deep-rooted traumatic thing that happened in your past that you can't really name, but you just feel and you just know it's there. That's more anxiety. Worry is primarily in the mind, whereas anxiety is primarily felt in the body. Worry just kind of stays up here. It's when you're laying in bed at night and you just kind of keep thinking over and over about that, that one conversation or that one thing where anxiety is like you literally feel it in your body. And some of you know what I'm talking about. Your heart rate starts to increase. Maybe you get a little bit sweaty. Some people even have full-on panic attacks, right? That's anxiety. And for the purpose of today, we're going to talk about worry from a biblical perspective as Jesus addresses it in Matthew chapter 6. Because here's the thing, I am not a licensed counselor. I'm not a doctor. I cannot diagnose anything. I am not an expert in this field by any means. But I do know that there are some people who really struggle with anxiety. And you're going to hear this message and you're going to be thinking, Josh, that's good and all, but you don't understand my story. And you're right, I, I don't understand your story. But my very best friend struggles from pretty, pretty severe anxiety. And so I know that that is real for some people. And my encouragement to you today is not to hear this sermon and think, oh, it's just like this band-aid. He's just telling me to get over it. And I'm not saying that at all. Please understand, we see you, we know you, and we love you, and we care for you. And it is our uh, really passion as a church to support you. And so every single year, we set aside a certain dollar amount to help offset the cost of counseling for people so that they can go to therapy to get the help that they need. Because sometimes you need a licensed therapist who can really help you dig down to help, uh, you know, dig up the roots of whatever it is that's causing that anxiety. And for some people, you might even need medication. And that's okay, and there's no shame in that. And so I just want you to know that if you're somebody who's really struggling with anxiety, and maybe you've never reached out to anybody, and you're trying to deal with that on your own, I encourage you, I think the most important next step that you could take, if that's you, whether you're here in the room or you're watching online, is to reach out to us because you are not meant to walk that journey alone. And so what you can do is just email contact at prescottcornerstone.com, and either myself or Scott will be in contact with you, and we want to walk alongside of you and help you get the resources that you need if you are really struggling with anxiety. But again, today our focus is talking about worry from this biblical perspective as Jesus addresses it in Matthew chapter 6. And so what I want to do is to define that word worry and I could not find a better definition than from my friend. Well, I call him my friend. I actually don't know him, but I read a lot of his books, and he's passed away. I just pulled a Scott right there. <laughs> Calling some of my friend. I don't know quite well, but Timothy Keller, this guy was just so brilliant. This is how he defines worry. He says, worry is not believing that God will get it right. And the it 
Just fill in the blank. God, worry is not believing that God will get my finances right. God will not get my relationships right. God will not get my health right. Worry at its core is just not believing that God will get it right. And so with that in mind, we're going to jump into our text today. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. And we're going to be going through verse 34 here today. So hopefully you're there by now. And Jesus starts off this passage and he says, Therefore, this is an important word we're going to come back to in just a second. He says, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, very important word. Whenever you're reading through the Bible and you come across that word, therefore, understand that that is a connecting word. It's connecting a previous thought to what is about to be said. And so we have to go back, actually, to verse 19 to understand what Jesus is talking about. And I encourage you to go home and to read verses 19 through 24 of Matthew chapter 6. But just for time's sake today, I'm going to give you an overview. Basically, Jesus is getting down to the point and he's saying, hey, who is your master? Is it money or is it God? Now, just for clarity's sake, God is not a cloud. He's not in the clouds. It's just very hard to represent God in a picture. But is, is your master money? You, some of your translations are going to use the word mammon. It's this ancient term for, for riches or material possessions that you put your hope in. Is your God money or is your master money or is your master God. And this is what he says in verse 24. He plays a little bit of that like this or that game that we played earlier. He says, no one can serve two masters since he will either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You have to have one or the other. It's not both. You have to pick this or that. And this word devoted is very important. So if you like to highlight in your Bible, you can go ahead and, and highlight that word. Because what is Jesus trying to do here in this passage? What I think he's trying to do is call us to reflection before calling us to action. Remember, he's telling us not to worry. That's the action piece. But before he says that, he says, hey, I want you to think about something. Where is your treasure? Is it in heaven or is it on earth? Who is your master? Is it money or is it God? Because if your master is God, you have nothing to worry about. But if your master is money, you have everything to worry about. Now, just for clarity's sake, owning money is not bad. But when money owns you, it will destroy you. It is a horrible master. And so Jesus is calling us to think about where is your devotion because he understands under all of the complexity and layers of our worries is this fundamental issue of allegiance and devotion. And at the very heart of worry is this deep, intense struggle to believe that God will get it right, that he is good, that he cares for us, that he is simply enough. That is at the core of worry. For Jesus, he knows that we worry about the uncertainty of all of the things that we are devoted to. So he's saying, hey, think about where your devotion really is. Is it with God 
or is it with the things of this world? Because if it is with God, then he goes on to verse 25. If it's with God, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Then he goes on and gives us some examples here. He says, consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Now, quick pause here for a second. Maybe a bird flew across the sky and Jesus is like, oh, perfect opportunity. I don't know. I wasn't there. I think he used the bird in this illustration um, because what do birds do? They wake up very early. They get up out of their nest. They go get their food. If they have baby birds, they bring food back to their babies and they take care of their babies. They fix their nests. They do all those bird things, right? But as far as we can tell, birds aren't worried. But birds do work. And Jesus is not giving us permission to be lazy and to sit back and be like, God will take care of everything. I don't need to do anything. I just don't need to worry. I'm just, I can just sit here and do nothing. No, no, we do what we can, but ultimately we trust God. And Jesus is saying, look, if God cares for the birds that are not made in his image, don't you think he's going to care for you, those of us who are made in his image? He's kind of making his argument from lesser to greater. And then he goes on and he says in verse 27, can any of you add one moment of his lifespan by worrying? Jesus knows worrying is the most unproductive thing that we can do, and yet we spend so much time doing it. I mean, if you're like me, when you worry, you typically stress, and stress literally kills us. Worry does nothing to add to our life. It literally takes away from our life. And he goes on in verse 28, and he says, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into a furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles or the non-Jewish people, the people of this world, eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus is saying we have a God, a heavenly Father, who pays attention to the details. And if you don't believe that, just look at the fields. We have all these fields with this beautiful grass. And what does he do? He makes these amazing flowers pop up with all of these beautiful colors. And those flowers and that grass, it's here one day and then it dies and then we gather it and we burn it for fuel. And if God pays attention to the details of the grass, don't you think he's going to pay attention to the details of your life? And Jesus multiple times uses this phrase, heavenly father. Now, I am not a heavenly father. I am far from that. But I am a father of three crazy little boys. And one of the things that I have discovered about being a dad is that my primary role as a father is to turn off the light switches behind my children <laughs> who are allergic to light switches. They think their finger is going to fall off if they actually use it. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. But I tell my kids all the time, hey, turn off the light. Electricity costs money, right? 
Now, let's just pretend that I wake up one morning and my son says, Dad, I need you to come follow me to the kitchen and sit down. And he sits me down and he says, Dad, now listen, I have something to tell you. I don't know if you know this or not, but last night I left every single light on in the house. And I'm kind of scared, Dad, because I know that you say electricity costs money. And I don't think we're going to have enough money to pay the bills, Dad. And I think you're going to have to sell my toys to help offset the cost. And I don't think I have enough toys to make enough money. And, Dad, it's really cold outside. And I think we're going to get kicked out of the house. And if we get kicked out of the house, we're going to be in the cold. And we're going to freeze to death and we're going to die. Even as a broken dad, what am I going to do? I'm going to say, buddy, hold on a second. Hold on, back up. You don't have to worry about that. That's my burden as your father to pay the electricity bill. You do what you can. Please turn off the light, right? You have the capacity to do that. You do what you can, but you don't have to take on the burden and the worry of trying to pay this bill. That's my job. And I wonder how many times we sit down, God at the table, and we say, God, I don't think you understand what's going on here. I have this health issue. And we walk him through this process. And at the end of it, I wonder if he's just thinking, buddy, hold on. Do you not know who I am? Do you not know that I literally own everything in the universe? Do you not know that I, I understand the details of your life? Do you not understand that I am your heavenly father who deeply cares for you? And so this is Jesus' point. He's just saying we have this heavenly father who cares about the details of our lives, who knows what we need. He says, therefore, you don't have to worry. And then he goes on in Matthew chapter 6, maybe. There we go. This is, the, this is the thing that we can do. This is the application for us. There, he says, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all of these things, all these things that you're worried about, what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink and what you're going to wear, all those things will be provided for you. Now, we'll come back to this verse in just a minute, but Jesus knows that we are a people who like to carry our worries into the future so for those of us who like to see the future, right? This is what he kind of had this, how he ends this thought. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He kind of just puts like a barrier up for us before we can come up with some excuse about, well, what about tomorrow? He's like, no, don't worry about tomorrow. You have this moment right now. And this moment right now has enough cares, enough worries of its own. So focus in here. Now, what I want to do with the remainder of our time is talk about verse 33, because I think this is very important for us here today. If we really want to be a people of peace, if we want to have less worry and more peace, this is what Jesus says we have to do. We have to seek first the kingdom of God. We have to seek first God's will and his priorities. We have to put those things first. That's why our big idea is this, that when we prioritize the kingdom and God's will and his uh, desires that peace will follow. The peace that all of us want will follow when we prioritize the kingdom. But the problem is, if you're anything like me, you cannot prioritize God's kingdom 24-7, 365. I am just too broken for that. I still worry. So what do we do when, not if, but when worry pops up in our lives? What do we do? I think we can treat it like the check engine light. 
Now, if you're driving down the road and a check engine light comes on, hopefully you think, oh, I need to take this into the mechanic. Now, I am standing here telling you that I am a hypocrite because the check engine light on my Toyota Forerunner has been there for years. <laughs> but it is a Toyota. It will keep running. So if you own anything other than a Toyota, this applies to you, okay? <laughs> but hopefully, if you're not like me and you're smart, you say, check engine light. Oh no, I need to have it checked out because this check engine light is telling me something is off. Something is wrong. Could be small, could be big. I don't know. It's just, it's, it's a warning. And if we start treating worry like this, when worry pops up, it's that blinking light saying, hey, your priorities are out of whack. Hey, your devotion is out of place. Hey, your thoughts are not being held captive to Scripture. Hey, you're believing a lie over a truth. When we start treating it like that, things will change. And Paul, I think, gives us some very clear wisdom on how to do this. Because again, think about worries primarily in the mind. And one of the ways that we can seek first God's kingdom and his will through our mind is with prayer. And so he addresses that in Philippians chapter 4. You can flip there if you want. You can just follow along on the screens. It's, if you flip a couple books in the New Testament, you'll get to Philippians. But Paul, speaking to the church, says, Okay, now Jesus said, don't worry about your food, what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to wear, that kind of stuff. Paul expands that. He says, don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, through prayer and petition, this humble coming before God, with thanksgiving, presents your requests to God. When we do that, here's the promise. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, some of you have experienced this. You have this deep peace that no matter what's going on, you just feel the sense of peace. You cannot articulate it, but you just know, hey, this is from God. He says that peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your what? Your minds, that place where worry happens in Christ Jesus. And the beautiful thing is it doesn't stop there. He continues and he says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Now, here's a quick next step for some of us. If we want to worry less, all we have to do is turn off the news for a week. Because <laughs> I don't know about you, but I, I, it's been a long time since I've watched the news and seen anything that was lovely or commendable or morally excellent or praiseworthy. And yet for many of us, that's what we dwell on is the news. We wake up, we turn it on, we watch it all day, and then we wonder why we're always a nervous wreck, Right? So for some of us, just like, hey, just turn the news off for a while. And you'd be like, whoa, this is amazing. Right? He, he's, he's telling us, look, dwell on the things that are lovely. Dwell on the things that are pure. I don't know anything more lovely or pure or commendable or praiseworthy than Scripture itself. And that's what he's calling us to think about and to dwell on. And then the promise is this, that when we do what we have learned and received and heard from Scriptures, from Paul, and when we do what we've seen in him, the God of peace will be with us. So we have a heavenly father who loves us and who does not just give us peace and then send us on our way and is like, hey, good luck with that. No, we have a God who gives us peace and then wraps his arm around us 
and walks with us through the worry and through the troubles and through the trials of our life. And so, that's why I say, when we prioritize the kingdom and God's will, that peace that he promised us will follow. But for a lot of people, you're still thinking, I'm not buying it, Josh, because I've tried that before and it doesn't work. And if that's you, I have an illustration. I have here a 10-pound weight. It is not very heavy. This weighs two pounds more than a gallon of water, okay? And if I take this weight and I do one curl, nobody's like, wow, you're so strong. Even if I do it again, nobody's that impressed. You're even going to be less impressed when I set this down and I say, I'm going to come back tomorrow and I'm going to pick this back up again. And I come back 24 hours later and I pick it up and I go, hey guys, watch this. And I go, okay, cool, Josh. And then I go, okay. And I set it back down. Nobody's like, wow, that's so amazing. But if I were to do that every single day for the next five years, I will have lifted a total of 36,500 pounds, which is roughly equivalent to two school buses. That's pretty impressive. That a little tiny bicep, I don't care how big your arm is, compared to the rest of the muscles in your body, bicep's pretty small. He's like, wow, this little tiny muscle can lift two school buses? Like, yeah. Just took five years. <laughs> but we did it. And for a lot of people, when we read the words of Scripture and we see Jesus say, hey, don't worry. And we read Paul saying, don't be anxious about anything. What we see are two school buses and what we hear is somebody saying, go lift those two school buses. And so what we do is we go over there and we try and we say, oh, it's not working. Oh, and we put it down, we walk away and say, it might work for some people, but I'm just, I can't do it. And so my encouragement for you today is this, stop trying and start training. Now, this is not an original thought to me. I don't know who said this, somebody much smarter than me came up with this, but this is really where it's at. We need to stop trying so hard and start training. And that's what we're being called to do. Every time that worry pops up in our life, it's a time for us to say, I'm going to hit the spiritual gym and I'm going to train. And even if it looks pathetic, just one prayer over one little thing that I'm worrying, if you do that again and again and again in five years, I promise you, you will be a different person. You will treat worry differently than you do now. And I really believe in you guys, and I really do think that you could do that. Because again, we, the, the whole premise of this, of this sermon series is that we overestimate what we can do in one year, and we underestimate what God can do in five years. And a little bit of intentionality mixed with the power of the Holy Spirit is an equation for change. And so each of us in this room, I guarantee you, when worry pops up, we can say, I can do one rep. And most of you are like, that wasn't that bad. I think I can do another rep, and you're going to do it. And even if you only do it two times over the next five years, you will be a different person. And so I want to leave you today with just one next step that kind of goes above and beyond just praying. This is for somebody who's maybe... Uh, just needs that kind of like 
extra credit. You just need a little bit something more. And that is to write out your own worry to worship psalm. And so the instructions for this are found online. If you go to presscornerstone.com slash resources, it looks like this, and it walks out step-by-step uh, step how to do this. This is a practice that I stole actually from um, a pastor in Minnesota uh, named John Piper. And basically, it's, it's uh, taking Scripture and writing it um, in such a way that it reads as a story, and you just kind of read it over yourself, and it takes you from this place of worry to a place of worship. And so you can, again, find this online if you go onto our website, but I'm just going to quickly walk you through the steps uh, that you can take to do this. First, you just start with how you're actually feeling. You open up to the book of Psalms and you just start reading through because the psalmists were brutally honest about their emotions and how they were feeling. And you just start reading through. And, and as you read through, you're going to find passages where you're like, I resonate with that. Like, I am angry at people right now. And you're going to read one of those psalms from David where he says he wants to kick in the teeth of his enemies. And you're going to be like, that's me, right? And so you can write that down. No, just be brutally honest about where you're at. And you do that. There's no length requirement. You just do that until you feel like, hey, I've really been able to communicate where I'm at. And then from there, you open up the scriptures and you begin searching for God's promises. What does he say about worry? What does he say about the state that you're in or the emotion that you're feeling? Where are God's promises? And you begin to write those out. And then you end, like we read about in Philippians chapter 4, you end with, with gratitude. You end with thanksgiving. And you just thank God for being a God who cares for us and who loves us. And so I am personally in a season where there is much to worry about. There's a lot of things that I'm thinking through as I'm processing the death of my mom and getting all of the details of that figured out and prepping for this message and, you know, being a father of three boys. And I, so you, get, you guys know what I'm talking It's just life. And so this is the worry to worship psalm that I wrote for myself that has helped me in this season. And I want to give it to you as a gift. And so I encourage you guys to close your Bibles, turn off your phones, put everything away. We're done writing for the day. <laughs> and to just sit, take in a deep breath, and let it out. Some of you are yawning. I can totally feel you. <laughs> and just realize that you are in this moment. You have right now. We're not thinking about tomorrow. We're not thinking about brunch or what you're going to do this afternoon, or who's playing, you know, whatever sport you're into. It's just right now. I encourage you to close your eyes. And if you want, you can even open up your hands on your uh, lap in a position or a posture of receiving with your hands open. You can sit however you want. But I'm going to read over you these scriptures. And my hope is that you would hear your heavenly Father, speak these over you. From a place of love, he is a God who knows the details of your life. He knows what you're going through, and he cares deeply for you. And so I pray that you would receive this as a gift from him. Why, my soul, are you so dejected? Why are you in such turmoil? Put your hope in God, for I will still praise him, my Savior and my God. 
When I am filled with cares, your comfort brings me joy. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Cast all your cares on him, because he cares for you. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food, and the body more than clothing? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or fearful. I sought the Lord, and he answered me, and he rescued me from all of my fears. This is my comfort in my affliction. Your promise has given me life. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way. The Lord be with you all. Father, we come before you with grateful hearts, thanking you that you are a heavenly Father who deeply cares for us, knows the details of our lives, and longs to provide for us. And so we may, may we take the, the truths of your word and apply them to our lives and become a people of peace in a very anxious and worried world. And may we reflect you, Jesus, in the brokenness of this world. May your name be lifted high and may many people be drawn to you in the goodness of the gospel. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.